When we go for a drive, when we get into our car, we depend on some things going right. We depend on the roads being drivable. We depend on the vehicle being reliable. Whether we like it or not, we depend upon other drivers to be attentive and to obey the rules of the road. We also depend on sometimes the weather to cooperate, the police to keep us safe, and we we are dependent now upon the map on our phone being accurate. We're now even dependent upon our phone having reception so our map can be accurate. Now, if you're traveling really far, those things become more important. In fact, Last year, when we went to Florida, our van, the brakes on our van, began to go out while we were in Orlando. Before that, a couple of years earlier when we went to Florida, we had to change our travel plans in order to keep from arriving in Florida in the middle of a hurricane. Maybe I should get the hint and not go to Florida. Many artists and musicians and poets have all used that imagery the road of life, the travels we're on, the journey of life. Even the Bible uses the picture of life being a journey. And as humans, we are on this journey, as we're on the journey, we experience what we could maybe describe some side quests, things we were not expecting to come along the way. Perhaps we call them sometimes seasons, We'll say, well, I'm experiencing a season of financial hardship. I'm experiencing a season of being sick. Or I'm experiencing a season of seeing one I love being eaten up by sickness. Or you might be having a season where, where you're watching somebody you care about turn their back on God. Or perhaps it's a season where uh, a close relationship has fallen apart. But the reality is, no matter what it is, as we go through life... We encounter, the while we go through this journey, we encounter these side roads, these side quests, these seasons. Now, because that's true, one of the things the Bible tells us is that God wanted to give us help. He wants to give us help and did give us help for these adventures, if we want to call them that. And that help is the Holy Spirit. Now, the, the tough thing about talking about the Holy Spirit is uh, it, 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 the Bible doesn't say as much explicitly about the Holy Spirit as it does about the Father and the Son. It can be hard to think about the Holy Spirit. When we think about God the Father, we kind of have a touchstone there, right? Because we have all had fathers. When we think of God the Son, we're very familiar with the Gospels. If you came up in church, you've gone to Sunday school, and you've, you've seen Jesus uh, eat bread, and you've seen him travel, and you've seen him sleep, and, and do all the things that humans do. But as we go through our Bible, there really isn't one particular image that is used for the Holy Spirit. He's described as wind that blows. He is described as a breath that we take. He is described as a river that flows, the oil of anointing, as a dove descending. All of those are pictures of the Holy Spirit. But as Americans, we have another problem. Our brothers and sisters who are part of Pentecostalism make the experience of the Holy Spirit really the center of what they do and what they teach. 
They place a lot of heavy emphasis on signs and wonders. And so it's all about the Holy Spirit is really emphasized as being something that provides an experience. But the Holy Spirit is far more than just an experience. I want to take the next few weeks and talk about the Holy Spirit. Now, here in the context of our passage, Jesus is saying goodbye, farewell. And he says to them at the very beginning, if you love me, you will keep doing what I have called you to do even after I have left. This farewell address, if we want to call it that, goes through chapters 14, 15, and 16. And it's interesting that in this farewell address, Jesus gives us one of the most extended treatments of the Holy Spirit. So what I'm going to do this morning is I want to walk through this passage, and then we'll make a couple of applications. Now, one of the first things we note as we read through the Gospels is that that the disciples were not perfect. We see instances where they keep little kids away from Jesus. We see them doubt that they're going to be able to feed 5,000. They get scared in a boat when Jesus has already said they're going to be safe. They argue about who is best. They get upset when somebody ministers who's not them. And even one time... They asked Jesus for permission to call down fire from heaven in order to kill people who were rude. And maybe you've had that feeling before. They're not perfect. We also know that when Jesus teaches his disciples, one of the things he says is that the world is going to be hostile. All the way in Matthew 10, Jesus says to the disciples, after I leave, this is what's going to happen. He says, you're going to be delivered to courts. You are going to be dragged before governors and kings. You are going to be flogged in the synagogues. You are going to be abandoned by family. You are going to be hated by all. You're going to be persecuted wherever you go. You're going to be rejected by men. And so we understand that Jesus is told, we we see that these imperfect men are going to be sent out into a hostile world. They're going to need help. And so Jesus says here in the passage, so the Father's going to send them another comforter, another help. He is sent, that the idea here is that the Holy Spirit is sent to the believer in the same motive, the same love, the same desire of God that sent Jesus. The love of God that sent Jesus to live and die and rise again is the same love now that sends the Spirit to help. Now what's also interesting is the passage says that the Spirit is going to come and remain. Jesus is going to go away. He's going to not be present anymore. But the Spirit, on the other hand, is going to come in and dwell the believer and stick around. In fact, in John chapter 7, Jesus says when the Holy Spirit comes into the person, out of them is is going to flow these rivers of water, these rivers of life. Something is going to happen when the Holy Spirit comes into the person's life. They are going to be a source of life. They're going to be a source of life to others. Now in verse 17... He also describes him as the spirit of truth. But also note here that he says that the world cannot receive him. And so Jesus is clarifying the Holy Spirit is not something generally sent out. He is not going to dwell anybody who is not a Christian. Now this is not new. If you go back to the Old Testament, when the spirit of the Lord would come... He would come to accomplish God's goals. He would, he would give people abilities to conquer, to, to do God's goals. He would be used to spread the message. 
The Holy Spirit gifted and helped and did the things that we find him doing in the New Testament, in the Old Testament. The difference is that now he makes pastors and teachers and he he gives the gift of hospitality and generosity and he produces fruit in us like love and goodness and more, but he then does it and stays. He keeps doing it. Now, from verses 18 to 23, Jesus talks about the nature of the relationship he has with his father and how that relationship impacts Christians. Now, just before our passage, Jesus tells the disciples, you are going to do greater works than what he did. The idea being that the conversion of souls is going to be much larger than the conversion during Jesus' ministry. We see on the very first day of Pentecost that 3,000 are saved after the Holy Spirit arrives. But his point here is to tell them that the Father and the Son have a relationship. The Father and the Son have purposes and goals they're trying to accomplish. And the Holy Spirit is going to come into the believer's life and put them in alignment with what the Father and the Son are doing. And so what we see here is we have disciples who are flawed, being sent out to preach in a hostile world, and Jesus is not going to be with them. But they're going to receive help, and the help they're going to receive is the Holy Spirit who's going to go with them wherever they go, who's going to stay with them forever and ever. And the Holy Spirit's going to direct them to do the things they need to do to glorify the Son, which is the plan of the Father and the Son. And then Jesus begins to explain how the Spirit's going to help. In verse 26, he says, when the Comforter comes, he's going to teach and bring remembrance. Jesus has been teaching them. But he's saying in verse 26, they have more to learn. What God wanted them to understand is not ending just because Jesus is leaving. And we know that because we see the book of Acts and we see the rest of the New Testament. There's going to be more revealing, more understanding, more maturing, if you will. Jesus says the Spirit is not only going to teach them, it's going to help them to remember what they have learned. You can think of it this way. The Holy Spirit is going to be the reason they will mature. The Holy Spirit is going to be the reason they're able to learn. The Holy Spirit is going to keep the gospel at the center of every growth or all the maturity and all the learning. The gospel is going to stay in the center of all of it. No matter how much they grow, no matter how much they mature, how much they learn, they're always going to be anchored to the gospel. But also note, he says, the Spirit is going to bring peace now not the everybody's going to get a long type of peace we're talking about the fruit of peace think of it this way as a christian as a human being you are constantly under pressure you're going to go home today and before the end of today you are going to find yourself under the pressure of temptation You're going to go to work this week and you're going to find yourself under the pressure to conform. You're going to find yourself because you're going to make mistakes. You're going to do the wrong thing, make the wrong choices and say the wrong words. You're going to find yourself under pressure because you have failed. What Jesus is saying is the Holy Spirit is not coming necessarily to relieve the pressure, but to give you a foundation of peace underneath all of that pressure. Now, You might ask yourself the question, Pastor, where is this peace? 
Well, we've been talking on Wednesday nights or on our Wednesday Bible studies about what, the, what we need to do to unlock or unleash the Holy Spirit's power in our life. And if you want to know, you're going to have to attend. We'll get to it, I promise. But lastly, in verse 31, I want you to note here that Jesus says, Arise, let us go from here. Now, the curious thing is, is that for the next three chapters, they don't go anywhere. So what does he mean? You see, that phrase is not a command to get up and move out. The command here is to get ready. He's told them he's going to leave. He's told them the world's going to be hostile. He has told them the Holy Spirit is coming. And he's saying to them, take everything I have just told you and wrap yourself up in it. So we understand that we're going to get help. We need help. And that help is going to be the Holy Spirit. So let me make two applications. Number one. Your love and obedience to Christ will be imperfect and can't be done in the flesh. Your love and obedience to Christ is imperfect and can't be done in the flesh. You are too weak. And the world is too hostile. Because you are weak, because the world is hostile, you need the Holy Spirit. One of his ministries to you is he's going to bring Jesus close to you. He's going to take you and bring you close to the Father and the Son. He's going to teach you and he's going to help you understand the love between the Father and the Son and the love that the Father and Son have for you. He's going to help you to live an obedient life, a life that imitates the life of Jesus, a life of obedience. He's going to help you to grow deeper and understand more perfectly. He is the only way we will overcome the natural weakness of the flesh. Our weakness in our learning, a weakness in our understanding, a weakness in our doing, a weakness in the presence of a hostile world. Let me explain it this way. A few months ago, I was standing at the foot of a grave of a woman I never met. I was asked to be there. I was made fully aware that there was a good chance that nobody was going to come to this graveside service. Now, two nurses who had cared for this woman towards the end of her life did come. But I'm standing there, and it's cold. It's windy. The pages of my Bible are flipping here and there. My notes are flipping here and there. Everybody is freezing. That was a moment of weakness. In my weakness, I could not tell the wind to stop. I could not tell the temperature to rise. I did not have the perfect thing to say. I did not fully understand the situation. And so in a moment like that, my entire dependence was on the Holy Spirit to overcome my weakness. Or you can think of the Apostle Peter, another example. Here's somebody who is all in. Do you know somebody who has a tendency to speak before they think? Peter was unquestionably dedicated to Jesus, but stupid things came out of his mouth. Is that you? Do you love Jesus, yet from time to time you know that you sin with your words? Or you take Peter and the fact that he sank in the water because he was afraid of the storm. Is that you? Are you saying, I love Jesus, but when life gets a little topsy-turvy, I begin to struggle with fear? Peter drew a sword to defend Jesus. He was going to die for Jesus, but just a few hours later he was denying him. Ever walked out of church hearing a good sermon? 
or a good Sunday school lesson, and just a few hours later found yourself doing things you're not supposed to do? As we go through our New Testament, we understand that the only way that we are ever able to possibly worship to pray, to serve, to do what God wants us to do is by the power of the Holy Spirit because we are weak and the world is hostile. And the application number two, the Holy Spirit's work in your life is personal to you. The Holy Spirit's work in your life is personal to you. He dwells in you to make you more you. And he dwells in you to make you more like Jesus. The Bible is very clear there are distinctions among Christians. The Bible uses the imagery of the human body. Some people are eyes, some people are hands. And as the Bible puts it, some people are the part of the body nobody talks about. In Ephesians, we're described as stones that are being carved out to fit our unique spot in the spiritual temple. We're told the Holy Spirit gives gifts, but he doesn't give the same gifts to everybody. We're told the Holy Spirit calls people into certain roles in the church, but he doesn't call everybody. The point being that while there are similarities among believers, there should not be sameness. The local church is intended to have people who are dramatically different from one another, and the Holy Spirit is the one who is creating that difference. The work of the Holy Spirit is to make you more the you that God made you to be. But let me help you understand something that is also true about the person near you. Whether you love that person, find that person irritating, dislike that person, when it comes to the people in your local church, the Holy Spirit is making them more what God wants them to be. He's not making them to be like you. He's not making them to be like the preacher. He's making them to be more like the them that God wants them to be. But then we see, yes, that he has the same goal for everyone, to make us more like Jesus. The Holy Spirit is making you more like you, but that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is making you into a jerk. It doesn't mean that it's the Holy Spirit is making you into, into somebody who is not like Jesus. The Holy Spirit is not in your life to leave you how you were found. He is, the Holy Spirit is in your life to make you more like Jesus. And one of the worst things we can do is to kick against it. If there's something in your life that needs to be confessed, something that needs to be repented, the Holy Spirit is there to call you to do so. If, you're, if your mind immediately goes to maybe I'm not saved or, or maybe I'm not going to heaven or maybe there is this sin in my life that I, uh, that I need to confess, that's not me. That's the Holy Spirit. He wants to produce in you a life that looks like Jesus. So we're all on this journey of life. And during our travels, all sorts of things, all sorts of things are going to happen. We're going to come up short, we're going to be imperfect, and we're going to face things that are far more than we can handle. But for this trip, if you're a Christian, you've been given the Holy Spirit. He is here to help you because the world is hostile and you are weak. And Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit will be in you to help you, will stay with you, will not leave you. 
The Holy Spirit will make you a part of the deep and profound love that the Father and the Son have for each other. The Holy Spirit will help you learn. He will help you to remember. He will be your source of peace beyond understanding. He will make you the person that God wants you to be, and he will make you more like Jesus. The Holy Spirit is our help for all of those things. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray as we go through this journey of understanding the Holy Spirit more that you would help us to grow in our understanding and understand, Father, the role the Holy Spirit has in our life. The role he has in the local church, the role he has in the world of evangelism. I just pray, Father, you would help us to recognize the help that we need and to give thanks for the help that the Holy Spirit is bringing to us, pruning us, making us more like you want us to be and making us more like Jesus. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.